So this morning, we're going to continue this series we've been talking about called Overcome, and we're really walking through this little short book. It's actually a letter that Paul writes called Philippians. But I want to highlight just a couple things before we get into it. Um, You may have got the news this week, but uh, a young new couple in our church, Harley and and Allie Harris, had their first child born this week. And so I know they are celebrating and rejoicing, and uh, they're actually watching on Facebook this morning. So I thought, would you mind just if you turned towards the camera and gave them just a little celebration and cheering and congrats? Yeah, that's great. That's great. So we're excited about that. Now, we're doing a couple meals uh, for them. So if you're like, hey, I'd like to do that too, and you don't, you know, you you haven't... uh, known we were doing that, just write on your card, just write meal, drop it at the end, and we'll, we'll help coordinate you on a good day and time and that type of stuff. So um, we'll, we'll do that as well. Uh, also, um, I, I was so blessed to look out to the parking lot and see my friends Dave and Sandy come walking up. Um, so let me give you a little background if you're newer with us in the last six years, right? <laughs> so that uh, six years ago, uh, this day, this exact date, we had our last worship service in our old warehouse. We had stripped it all out. We had taken everything off the wall. The lights were gone. Everything was out. Um, and we just shined a projector onto uh, the wall and did our last worship service there. So I was looking at pictures of that this morning, and I was seeing Dave up on stage playing his guitar. And, uh, and I just had fond memories. And then to see him walking in was, was quite wonderful. Dave, do you remember that you and I, when I first started here as pastor, we made the, I, I made the first trip with you to go look at a future building site for, we drove out to Colfax to an old uh, uh, gymnastics studio that, that was there, and we tried to visualize if a church could be in this place. Um, and that was one of a few places we put our eyeballs on. And uh, so that friendship, I just so appreciated. And it's just, it's just great to have you come and actually see the home and be a part of it now. Um, and uh, another thing that you may not be aware of, um, because Dave decided to move away to Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so didn't even confer with me. So something about his family, I don't know. So, um, but Dave actually was part of founding Lot 2540. Which, which, as you know, we're still well plugged into. It's a significant ministry for us. You saw the box outside. I hope you're still, when you go grocery shopping, you're thinking about Lot. If you're not, you know, then uh, think about Lot, I guess I would say. Um, but, uh, but Dave was part of founding that, along with Marty Roberts, who's been in church with us and, and spoke to us. So we really appreciate that, Dave. And I hope you see the, the flourishing ministry that's going on up there. So wonderful. Good to have you this morning. Well, I'm glad you're all here this morning. It means um, it's Memorial Day weekend. It means you don't own boats. So uh, <laughs> you didn't have anywhere to go. So here you are. So uh, I'm glad that, that you chose to be here. So Philippians chapter 4, we're going to take a look at this passage in just a second. Now, it's going to be on the screen or your sermon notes if you've got some, um, but I want to just highlight a little bit. Now, imagine if today you won the lottery, right? Like you won it. Like I know some of you are saying like, I don't think they run the lottery today or that. I, I, I don't know the details, all right? I don't know how it works, but right? just roll with me in the example. You won the lottery. It doesn't matter how much it is, right? It's like, it's money, right? And you just won it, and you are excited, and you're celebrating, and you're telling people, right? Um, you're telling the right people, because some of the people are going to come out of the woodworks, but you're excited about this that's coming. You're already spending money in your head, right? You're going to have that boat now, right? That's how you're thinking and processing. 
But uh, I don't know if it works this way, but let's just say it works in the sense that now you're going to receive, to claim your prize, and guess what you don't have? You don't have your ticket or your numbers or whatever it is that verifies that you indeed were that lottery winner. Now, what are you going to feel like when you just lost, I don't know, thousands, millions of dollars, you know, that you've just sacrificed? You'd already spent it in your head. I mean, you go from the the height of celebration and joy and life is going to change entirely to, um, well, I guess same old life and I'm a big time doofus. You know, I mean, that's kind of where you're at now in your thinking. This is exactly what I think Jesus is getting at when he talks about in Matthew chapter four, when he says, repent for what is coming, the kingdom of God. When he says, look, not the kingdom of God like heaven one day. Remember, we define this. The kingdom of God, like the real presence of God in your life, like living with the presence of God, living in you, it's available to you. So repent, not, not just get rid of your sins, but turn from whatever would keep you from being able to live in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says, look, even if you're broken in life, the kingdom of God is available even to you. I mean, like that is like Jesus coming and saying, look, you've won the lottery. This kingdom living, this life in God is available to you. Contextually at the time, you know, we would have thought that was only available, right, to those who seem to be very blessed or the religious leaders or the elite category. And Jesus is saying it's for everyone, everyone. But then in chapter 6 of Matthew, he actually says, look, let me just tell you some stuff that would actually inhibit you receiving the fullness of the kingdom, like, here's this great blessing. Now let me tell you some uh, things that, like, you would just, like, almost nullify the benefits of it if you were to live this way. And in Matthew chapter 6, he says some things. He says, selfishness. Like, kingdom living and selfishness don't really go together. So if we're going to choose selfishness, like, we don't get the benefits of this new life in Christ, this kingdom living. Pride materialism. Anybody struggle with that ever, right? I mean, ever since I said boat at the first part of the service, you know, you're, oh, boat, I need a boat. Materialism. So he says these things, selfishness, pride, materialism, and guess what he throws in at the end of this list, seemingly like, why, why did this make that list? Selfishness, pride, materialism, guess what he throws in at the end? Do you remember the passage? Worry. Like Jesus is actually saying, let me tell you some things that will kind of destroy, that will close the door on this great kingdom living, this great life in Christ that you can have. And he says, worry is one of these things. As if he's saying, look, uh, kingdom living and selfishness don't go together. Kingdom living and pride don't go together. Kingdom living and materialism don't go together. And you've already guessed it. Kingdom living and worry don't go together. Like, you can't find the full benefit of life in Christ with worry as well. So then we find that Paul, the passage we're going to read this morning, he picks up on this theme. In fact, it's three times Paul actually speaks about this and writes about this in some way about this issue of worry or anxiousness, maybe your translation says as well. And so, I don't know about you, but I really want to pay attention to the things that Jesus teaches that his followers pick up on and say, these are important things for you to know. And Paul, being one of his followers, picks up on this and writes about this issue. And so we're going to take a look at it. So if you didn't get sermon notes this morning, 
Uh, just slip up your hand, and Pastor Anson, uh, he's ready. He's here. He doesn't have a boat either, so he's ready to bring you. Uh, he wants one, though. We talked about it. Deborah, did you? Did, okay, he wants one, so something with fishing. He'll get you one, and we'll get uh, going on this. Let me read the passage first. It comes from Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 9. Just a quick word about Philippians. Remember, Paul, he's a follower of Jesus. He wasn't always a follower of Jesus. He was a hater of Jesus, became a disciple. And so he writes this letter to the church at Philippi. It's a town, right? He writes this, this letter, and it's basically a letter to encourage them and to challenge them. Have you ever done that to somebody? So we had this letter when TC graduated Friday night. He had it on his the little table, they set up pictures, and it was a letter to the parents that all the, the uh, students wrote. And so I got to read this letter. Like, this is encouraging, powerful letter. So Paul's doing that. He's encouraging. But he's also going to slip in some challenge to people just to let them know how to really keep living out this life in Christ. And so let me just read this. We find in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 9, we've already kind of worked through the first three chapters the last several weeks. He says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So let's just do a little bit of defining. Let's, let's just make sure we understand what Jesus and Paul are talking about when Jesus writes about this in Matthew, when Paul picks up on this topic here. Um, these different forms of worry. So I've got them in your notes this morning. Here's one, things we can control. So there's a form of worry, or maybe call it stress, that comes from things we can control, but we know like we got to get done or there's something that's required of us. And so there's a little bit of stress and anxiety that comes with that. You might even call that worry as well as you put your own effort and your thought and whatever control you have to get that done. Don't think that's what Jesus and Paul are referring to in these sections. Then we have things that we can influence, but we can't control. You understand what I'm talking about? Like, you have some influence. You can speak into it, but at the end of the day, you don't control the situation. Any of you have got teenage or grown parent or kids, right, parents? Like, you understand what we're talking about right away. You, you have some influence, but you don't have control. Now, my folks are with me this morning, Jim and Carol Raven here, right? And um, they could probably attest to that. They would say, yeah, with... They call me Tommy, all right, and that's okay. So you call me Tom, and that's good for you. But, so, but they could attest to that. They could say, yes, we can influence. Maybe sometimes they don't even think they can influence. I don't know. Um, you know. But there's no control, right? We have that in a lot of situations in our life where you don't have control, but you can speak into it or you can uh, maybe influence by what you do. I don't think Jesus and Paul are referring to this as well. And then there's this last one, things that are beyond our control, beyond your control entirely, right? These are things that we love to worry about. 
we love to stress about, to have anxiety about, to wonder about, to let ourselves just, our mind just go and go and go. This is exactly what I think Paul and Jesus are referring to when they speak about worry. And let's, let's be straight up about it. When Paul and Jesus talk about it and they talk about this form of worry, they're saying this, it is simply of no value to you. In fact, they would say, not only is it a waste of time for you, but it also will cut into the value of your Christian and your kingdom living that's offered as Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 4 and 5. So what does Paul say we should do instead? Like, what is his solution? I told you he does some challenging here, but also some encouraging. He's going to teach us some things. So here's the first thing he says. He says, rejoice. Just simply rejoice. Now, here's what I'd love to tell you to do, right? I hope you would do it. You have the opportunity, um, right? Open up your Bible throughout your week or next month or so, and just look at every reference there is to joy. Rejoice, joy, choose joy, all those references. You're going to find that just about every single one of them does not just say, wow, he had a joyful disposition, you know? Um, They will say things like, choose joy, rejoice, have joy. Like almost these command-type phrases to say that it is something that we don't just walk around and we stumble into every once in a while, but we actually choose joy. We look at a situation and we say, you know, I'll find the joy and the value in that. You ever met somebody who it seems like that's the opposite of how they function? Like, they're always looking for the non-joy. They're always looking for the, oh, this stinks. You know, this is terrible. You know, let me tell you why. And then you have to listen because you're a good listener. You know, that's... He's saying, choose joy. And that's what Paul's talking about. Remember, do I need to remind you of his setting? He's sitting in a prison cell, right? Not an American prison cell. He is sitting in this prison cell, which has been just a horrible situation, and he's writing these encouraging words, rejoice. In fact, do you remember? Flip back your pages, you know, that he says it what? Consider it all what? Joy. Joy. That's what he's talking about here, even in his situation and being in prison here. Now, caution. Just because you choose joy and you choose not to worry or be anxious doesn't mean whatever's going on isn't important. You're not saying, I'm not worrying, so therefore it's not a value. It's not important, right? No, all of us cannot worry about things that are not important, right? It's when something is of great value in your life. Will you say, I'm going to choose joy in this situation. I'm going to choose not to let anxiety take over. Here's the second thing that we, we find in this passage that Paul says, simply talk to God. That's how I've labeled it, at least. He says, do not be anxious. Maybe your translation says worry straight up there about anything, but instead do what? By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I love that there. That he's saying, look, that instead of worrying, let me give you another way to deal with something. Now, I don't know about you, but um, that's very pragmatic. I like to know what is the option. Like if you're telling me not to do something, like what is the better way? What's the better option? And Paul is very clear. Instead of sitting around and stressing and worrying, how about going to God? How about going to God and taking your prayer and your petitions, prayer, going to him, And then your petitions, asking of him, present those before God. 
And then we get, then we get a different frame of mind. Now, he's very clever. Paul slips in a little phrase there. It's two words. What is it? He says, with thanksgiving. What is Paul saying there? He said, look, just a simple reminder, you have so much to be grateful for. Now, I told you a couple weeks ago, right, uh, two cars went down. Last Saturday night, the last, you know, good car, um, you know, uh, uh, turned the key, no go, didn't go anywhere. We had actually bought a new car, so new to us. And so we had that one, but then no, no turning of the Jetta key. Finally got it to turn, no turning back. And the car's on in the driveway. So there we are. So just trying to deal with life, right? Like Paul would be saying, do you have so much to be thankful for still? I mean, I'm thankful that we had a car to break down, right? So, I mean, that God has blessed us to be able to have vehicles to be able to go to jobs and and whatever else, right? Now, uh, it doesn't mean I didn't pay the bill for the Jetta and not just about gag and fall over on the ground, but I'm grateful that there was finances in the account to take care of that car. I'm grateful there was another car in the, in the parking lot that we could, or the driveway that we could figure out. There's so much to be grateful for still. And he says, look, if you would go with Thanksgiving, if you would set your eyeballs on what you still could be thankful for, it's very hard for worry to live in that setting when we look at what we can be grateful for. And then this neat little thing he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Simply what Paul is saying there is, this peace will come on you in a situation where it seemingly shouldn't even be there. Like, I'm amazed how many times I go sit with people, believers, kingdom livers, who have just had somebody pass away in their life, and they grieve, they're sad, they're They have all of those emotions you would think they'd have, right? And yet, they're proclaiming this underlining peace that they have in their life. And that's what Christ offers us. And so in this context, when it's talking about worry, he says there's a better option. There's this peace that passes all understanding. You might know it that way. Hey, here's a third thing he says there in this passage. Think about positive things. Now, uh, when I say it that way, some of you right away would be like, you know, I don't know, what is this, just, you know, uh, mind over matter type thinking, you know, where's the Holy Spirit and all this type of stuff. Uh, Now, there's a popular phrase we like to use sometimes, um, or maybe you don't like to use it, I don't know, I see it enough. It's, we don't, instead of just saying, I will pray for you, or please pray for me, we're like a little nervous, I don't know, is that going to offend somebody, or does that catch it all? So we've thrown a little extra phrase on there, it's quite popular now. Um, prayers and good vibes, please, right? As if here's what we're saying is, I'm going to go to the almighty God and I'm going to petition God who has authority and power to really do anything in our behalf and I'm going to think a happy thought for you. So as if those two things, you know, carry the same weight and authority and power. Listen, thinking positively, I think is a wonderful trait, I think it's powerful. If you're a negative thinker here right there, you are robbing yourself of life. But there's no power in me just thinking good for you and that it transfers like that. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. What Paul is saying, you dwell on it. You think on these things. You meditate upon these things over and over. Think about these positive kingdom values is what he's talking about here. 
Because like you might know, sometimes you think it and meditate on it and you become it as well. So he says, hey, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, these are pretty good things to think about. Like if you're focusing on this, hear that list. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. It is so difficult for worry and anxiousness to survive on that list. It just gets crowded out, weeded out, and it is gone if we focus on these kingdom living type of things. Word of caution. This doesn't mean that all your problems are going away. Last week, we sung a great song. It was a wonderful song about this is how I fight my battles. If we're not careful, we go away and think, oh, God fights all my battles. I don't have to do any fighting. I could just sit on the side with a lemonade and say, God, go at it. You know, um, let me know when you're done. And there's a couple stories in the Old Testament that God fought for people. But man, you can't deny in the New Testament, if you read, like there's actually suffering and hardship comes with it. And if you've been living life, I think you have because you're here, right? You would say, yeah, I understand. Hardship, suffering, it's part of life. It just comes in the ebb and flow of life. Those aren't going away. But what Paul says is, how about we focus on these kingdom values that are out there all around us, the way God is working. It's amazing how we can live life even in the midst of the things that life might throw our way. Here's the final thing he says, and I think this is impactful for us, and especially if you're a Christian this morning. He says this, and I worded it this way, do what you know. Do what you know, or do what you've been taught. Do what you have seen. What has been modeled for you, now go do that. The commencement speaker at TC's graduation on Friday night said a very powerful phrase. He he said, I'm not so sure if God has ordered and numbered every bit of your days, where you're going, who you're going to meet, who you're going to marry, and all that kind of stuff. But I know this, go do the next right thing. Go do the next, really, he was saying, go do the next godly thing in your life. It's powerful here. Go do what you've been taught and what's been modeled. Here's how we read this in in chapter 4. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, um, can I just tell you, for the first, I don't know, 10, 12 years of my Christianity, I probably had lazy translation of this. Like, I just read this, and without really looking at the context, who's speaking, what's he talking about, I just simply kind of said, well, that's kind of like Jesus talking there, right? Just go do what Jesus is doing. Now, indirectly, Paul is saying that, but Paul is clearly saying, what you've seen me do, what I've said, go do that. Why would Paul be so bold to ask them to follow his model? Well, when we read Paul's letters, we learn that everything Paul was about was to be like Jesus. Everything. In every way that he lived, he wanted to be like Jesus, as Jesus did. told you a few weeks ago, 75 times in the New Testament, we have this phrase, like Jesus or as Jesus did, something like that. And 72 times they're attributed to Paul's writings. Paul is saying, as Jesus Listen, why do I love my spouse? Why? Because Jesus loved, Jesus loved that way, and so I love my spouse that way. I don't just love my spouse because the Bible says to do it. I love it because that is the way Jesus loved. 
That's the way Jesus lived out his days. Paul, who didn't have this Bible put together for him on his date, he understood what Jesus did and he lived it as well. So he can boldly say, live like I've lived. Can I just ask you for a second, Christians? How impactful would it be if you could stand just like Paul, men or women of this church, and be able to say, look, live out your life just the way you've seen in me. If you were building into someone, if you'd look at your kids and say, live out your life the way you're seeing here, a coworker, somebody who is drawn to you that wants to know a little bit about your Christianity, and you say, you can live this out, not in, in pride, not in arrogance, but simply because you know every way in your life you want to live like Christ. That is what Paul is saying here. Indirectly, Paul is saying how important discipleship is, how important it is that you attach yourself to someone, and if you're in the position you build into them or you let them right now build into you. I read this little uh, equation. You're probably familiar with it, especially if you're in the business world where it runs a little more freely. Uh, It's the 70-20-10 principle. Are you familiar with this? Basically this, 10% of what you hear you retain, and you might put into practice in your life, which means, you know, uh, 10% of what you heard this morning, for me, you might remember, and you might put into your life. So next week, I'll be only preaching 10% of my sermon next week, so we'll just, you'll nip it right at the beginning, and you, I'll just find the good 10%. Um, 20% is when you interact with somebody. You're brainstorming, you're talking, and, and it's just part of your flow. 20% there. And then 70% is what you put your hands on and you do. Like when you're actively doing something with somebody and you're learning, they're looking at you and say, hey, um, if you kind of switch this here, it'd be a better, more efficient way to do it. And you do it and you start to see the results. 70% is what you're putting your hands to. Some of you like to work on cars, but you're like, I don't really know much about cars. I YouTube and have to take three trips to AutoZone, but you know, somehow I get it done. Like you have actually learned because you've put your hands on things. Uh, Tanya, who goes to uh, uh, our church uh, most weeks, is a runner. Um, And I actually asked her, hey, this summer, um, would you mind maybe if I tagged along and ran a bit, and uh, maybe you could teach me to be a little more proficient of a runner, right? Some of that's going to start with actually doing it, um, which I don't enjoy. Uh, But I would imagine there's probably a few little things she could teach me. Like if I showed up and I was running backwards, she might say, hey, you know, you might want to think about turning around and running forward. It's a little bit more efficient of a run, and you can see a lot more things. Or, you know, you might consider using both legs when you run. You know, who knows what she could build in to me. Um, I'll tell you at the end of the summer. It's the same thing and quite that simple with discipleship. Like, if you attach yourself to someone, if you're a Christian, even if you don't think you have all this Christianity stuff figured out, and you just started to build into them, and to teach them, and then let, their, let them put their hands on living it out with you. Man, that's powerful. And that's what Paul's talking about. Do what you've seen me do with you as well. Here's a takeaway this morning. It's fairly simple and impactful, I think, to us. Kingdom living, this living out, this life in Christ, is most effectively lived out in small decisions to trust God. Like in small decisions, Sometimes we're like sitting back on the couch and we're just kind of waiting for this big rush of the Holy Spirit to just drop out of the sky and hit us, kind of like on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, the book of Acts. But actually, God works a lot more towards the little decisions we make daily. 
Just the little things we say, I'm going to trust God in this. I'm not going to worry today or be anxious. I'm going to just trust God in this particular area of my life. Little decision after little decision. My wife's father often says this when talking about what it means to go deep in your Christianity. You ever had somebody who said, you know, I just want to go deeper in my Christianity. And sometimes that's translated like, I don't know, I want a a Greek Bible study that, you know, really I got to work through the language. But I love how Shri's father says it. He says, look, deep, if you want to go deep, depth is simply saying yes to God more. Just saying yes to God more in all of these little decisions in your life. That's depth in our walk. That's how kingdom living is most effectively lived out. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. And I would guess that if you're one that struggles with worry, you probably don't walk around daily saying, hey, I'm a big worrier, you know, really struggle with it, want you all to know. It's probably a little bit more internal and private in it. You know, it's not something you want to declare with everyone. You might even not realize that it, it, it's even there at times. This would be a great time between you and God just to release. Do you remember the old metaphor with the hands of turning your hands over and then releasing as if something would drop out of your hands to the floor? You know, palms up, releasing doesn't do a whole lot, right? We still can hold on to it. But turning over and releasing it's released. Maybe for you this morning, that's what your little communication with God needs to be about. Your prayer time is to just say, God, I want to release this thing to you. And then trust. You may have the answer immediately that that answer may roll in a little bit longer. You might have to be patient with your trust of God, but it's a great starting point this morning. So I want to pray for you. You pray uh, along with me uh, uh, quietly yourself. So let's pray. Father, I just want to ask, Lord, for this issue of worry, that, Lord, I don't think you just say, hey, here's another thing to add to the do and don't list, don't do this, do this, and that we have no understanding of why and how this thing works out. You say clearly, here is life. Live out this great joy of life and know that worry will rob you of it. So don't worry. Come to me instead with your prayers with your, your asking. And Lord, I just want to pray for anyone, even if it's just one this morning, Lord, that this would be the morning for them to just say, yeah, I'm, a, you know, I'm really drawn to this. I almost knee-jerk. I don't even think about it. And would this be a morning that you could start them on a journey of them confessing before you and then starting them on a journey of putting worry aside and focusing a new way and not letting worry rob of a life that you have to offer. Lord, may this be an overcome day. And then, Father, I believe with everything in me that that if Christians are out there living a life where they choose joy, where worry is not the thing that comes in and it's a dominant feature, that it will be like Paul even says, that it won't just be then about my walk with God, but it'll be about every person far from God that watches how I'm living out life. And they will be drawn to something. And I will have the opportunity to point them to Christ because of the way I'm living out kingdom living. So Father, help us to do that. So you've called us to reach people in that way. Send us out, Lord, maybe even this afternoon. Put it before us that we might put this new commitment and approach into life, we pray in your son's name. 
Amen. Amen.